So if you have your, your Bible, and you would turn to uh, the book of Luke, chapter 1. Um, at, at Hope, we, we preach through books of the Bible, uh, section by section. And we are um, beginning our, our way through the book of Luke, uh, which also happens to fall well for the, the Christmas season. So looking at the, the Christmas and um, Advent stories, uh, we, we looked at Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, two weeks ago. And this was uh, Luke's introduction to this, this incredible work. And remember we said that, that Luke is a physician. Uh, he is a, a medical doctor in the ancient Roman Empire. He uh, was probably a, a Gentile, but somebody who has had a lot of training in the Old Testament scriptures, may have even been a follower of the, the God of Israel before becoming a Christian. And in these opening four verses, he had talked about how he basically did really careful work of, of research, of um, study, to, to talk to people who were eyewitnesses of the events of, of Jesus Christ. And he told us that the purpose, his whole reason for writing this book, is that we might have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught, that we'll really know that Jesus did the things that he did and said the things that he said. And today, then... Uh, Luke is moving from his introduction into the, this first um, story. And, and it's interesting that even though this is the, the story, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, the good news about his work, that, that he starts actually with two elderly people um, before Jesus was, was born. It's an interesting place to start. Uh, but again, Luke chapter 1, beginning in, in verse 5. And if you have your um, pew Bible, it's on page 855. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest, before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this 
good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my word, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five, five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my re reproach among people. This is the, the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you that, that you break the silence of the world, Lord, that, that you speak to us. Thank you for uh, your, your appearance to Zechariah 2,000 years ago. And Lord, we, we pray that we could learn what you want us to learn here, apply what you want us to apply, Lord. And we pray that the, the words of my mouth, Lord, and the, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. So some of you may have seen the, the movie Apollo 13 came out in 1995. Uh, but some of you also may actually remember the events of the Apollo 13 mission in 1970. Um, and, and if so, you, you, you know that this was a mission that was supposed to go land on the moon. Um, but then there was an oxygen tank explosion, and uh, the ship was damaged on the way, so they had to abort the mission. They looped around the moon and tried to come back as quickly as possible. Uh, but they were very concerned as they were approaching the Earth because they didn't know if the heat shield had been damaged through the explosion. And so when they were going to make their fiery re-entry, uh, they were hoping, praying, that they wouldn't just burn up in the, in the atmosphere. And so that process was especially terrifying for the family, for expectant people watching, uh, because there is, when they were plummeting through the atmosphere, there basically are six minutes where they go into radio silence, where there's no kind of communication. So for that six minutes, they don't know what happened, if they have even survived. And we think, well, you know, six minutes, that's not that long. But if you're sitting there counting second by second by second, I mean, that's a really long time. And so as, as they were counting... The six minutes went past, and they continued to count. Another minute went past, another 27 seconds, a minute and 27 seconds. So, um, and they, at that point, they thought, okay, this probably, it's not coming through. That it must have been, been lost. They were afraid. And then, thankfully, all of a sudden, there was the, the radio silence was, was broken, and they heard that the astronauts had, had survived and were going to make it safely back to the Earth. And I think that this, this image of seven and a half image, uh, minutes of radio silence is a, just a good picture of the experience of the nation of Israel uh, between the, the last prophet of the Old Testament and, and the coming of Christ. That in, in the last period of the written Old Testament, uh, God was very, very active in, we could say, radio communication with his people. 
uh, for the, the northern tribe of Israel. He was sending prophets as they were turning away from the Lord, calling them to return. Eventually, they went into captivity to Assyria. Uh, and then the southern tribe of Israel s still was continuing in, in idolatry, turning away from the Lord. So uh, God sent many, many prophets to them, calling them to repent and, and turn to the Lord. But they didn't listen. They continued in their ways and eventually went into captivity in Babylon. But even in captivity in Babylon, God still sent prophets. There was, there was still word from, from heaven. They came back 70 years later from exile. There were still prophets. Um, but really then, that's when it, when it stopped. And it's interesting to look at the very last written words of the Old Testament uh, that come from uh, Malachi. So if you actually turn in your Bible uh, to Malachi chapter 3, looking at verse 1, uh, God says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And so what this is saying is, is that, watch out, somebody's going to come, and it's going to be a Messiah who's um, going to, to deliver the people, and that he's going to be heralded by a messenger who will prepare the way for the Lord. And then if you just flip to the very last section of Malachi, chapter 4, verse 5, very similar language, it says, this is God speaking, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. And so you see the, the same promise that a Messiah is coming, but somebody's going to come just before that and then the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the way. And with those, those final words in, in Malachi, there, seemingly God went into radio silence. And the, that silence prophetically continued for 400 years. And people just waited and waited and waited and waited more. And there were no more prophets, no more word from, from heaven. And it seemed at some point like the Messiah wasn't actually going to come, that maybe um, something had happened, <laughs> that God is not going to fulfill his, his promises because it seemed delayed. And even during that time, people didn't have an easy um, experience. Um, the, the people of Israel were so hopeful coming back from exile in Babylon, but then soon after that they were conquered by Alexander the Great, if you know your history, uh, came in to be part of the, the Greek Empire when Alexander's empire crumbled and everything was divided into four parts. They were still ruled by, by Greek power um, and had terrible, horrible religious oppression through somebody named Antiochus Epiphanes um, and just um, they were, um, you, you can read about that in the book of Maccabees, not a good place to be. Um, but soon, they actually had a revolt called the, the Maccabean Revolt, um, kicked out the Greek forces again. Yes, maybe the Lord is going to, to act. But then soon after that, they were conquered by the Romans. Um, and so just one mass power coming in and subjugating them after another. And so is God really going to act? Uh, but at that point, the, the Romans um, didn't want to rule directly. They sometimes um, did this. And so Mark Anthony, probably you know him. This is good history 
lesson, in 37 BC, he appointed a, a puppet king to rule over Israel. Um, and his name was Herod. Um, and he's known as Herod the Great. And he wasn't actually even an Israelite. Uh, he was um, an Edomite, so a foreign power that actually had been an enemy sometimes of Israel, but he claimed basically to be king of the Jews. And we know him through the Christmas story, um, terrible guy, uh, killed innocent children in Bethlehem, um, was probably in the, the list of some of the worst kings in Israel. And so as we, we turn then to our, our text in, in Luke in, in verse 5, and it says that this is taking place in the days of Herod, Luke's hearers would have a good sense of, of what that means. That this would have been a time of, of suffering, a time of, of longing, a time where, where people were wondering, where is God? That, that he's been silent for 400 years and we're continuing to pray and hope that the Messiah will come. But is he actually going to, to break radio silence and act? And that's what we see God doing in this passage for the, for the first time. And that's why Luke actually starts here uh, with his gospel. So look again at, at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he and his wife, sorry, he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. And this is just so like the Gospels, to, to not begin, I mean, it, it gives you the context of what's going on geopolitically, but those things seem like they don't matter. But it goes into this just seemingly ordinary husband and wife, this, um, this priest, and it says that, you know, very normal, but our text tells us he was righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes. And that doesn't mean that, that he was perfect, but it's saying that he's an Old Testament believer. I mean, we're reading about him in the New Testament, but he's an Old Testament person. Um, and he's living faithfully as an Israelite. And there's similar ways of talking about people like Abraham or Job or Noah, uh, that they were blameless before the Lord. But yet, you'll notice that that didn't exempt him from suffering. And, and the Bible never promises that living and walking blamelessly is actually going to, to lead to just a perfect life with no, with no suffering. Um, and that's really, if you look at verse 7, it starts with but. And that's what the but means, that, that they were righteous, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. And so even today, we talked about this a few weeks ago, just the, the pain that people have uh, of desiring a child but being unable to have children. Uh, but often in Old Testament Israel, that feeling was even intensified because um, of a lot of bad theology. Then because people said, well, children are a blessing, but they are a blessing that is basically a reward for righteousness. Um, and by extension, if you don't have a child, it could be a sign of sin or some kind of un unfaithfulness. And so people may have even said, well, maybe Zachariah and Elizabeth aren't actually walking blamelessly before the Lord. Maybe they're just uh, hypocrites and that actually we know the real story because they don't have a child. And that may be even what Elizabeth is talking about in verse 25 when she talks about the reproach among men, that, that she suffered reproach because of being unable to have a child. 
But yet, even in the, in the face of this gossip, uh, this, this waiting, they continued to pray, they continued to hope that even in their own individual lives, that God would break radio silence and that he would act. And I think that in, in this way, their experience individually of barrenness becomes a picture for the experience of the whole nation at this point, that they're waiting and waiting and praying and praying, and is God actually acting? Is he concerned with the details of their life? Well, the whole nation is waiting and waiting and praying and praying and wondering if God is actually active or concerned at all. And I think that, that we can also identify with that sort of longing and that sense of, God, where are you? That are you ever going to to break radio silence and, and act, and are you listening at all? And for some of you, it may be the place of, you say, well, I'm not a Christian. I, I, I've never trusted in Jesus. But you wonder, is God actually there? Is he actually active in the world? And, and you wonder if God in some way could break radio silence and, and reveal himself. But for others who are um, believers, I mean, maybe you went through seasons of really close, intimate fellowship with the Lord, of, of sensing his presence. But then also you go through s- seasons of hardship, of, of suffering, of praying and seeing like God is, is not acting, that God is on um, radio silence, and is he really going to work in this situation? And I think a lot of the time that for believers that comes through uh, a sense of unanswered prayer. And here are just some examples of the kinds of things that we, we pray for, um, long for, that, that you, you pray for a difficult relationship for, for years and years, but there's no change, no reconciliation. It seems like it's, it's getting worse. Or you pray for a family member to, to come to know the Lord, uh, but it seems like they're becoming more and more hostile to the, to the things of God. Or you pray for a new job situation, but it seems like you'll be stuck forever, and is God going to act and answer your prayer? Or you, you pray for the end of some kind of physical pain or, or suffering in your life, wondering, can God take this away? But the pain is only getting worse, and you wonder if God is hearing and, and listening. Or even just what we pray in the Lord's Prayer, saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we look and say, there's so much that the world is against the the kingdom of God, that there's a lot of not the will of God's being displayed in the world. It's moving farther away. So is God actually hearing our prayer of your kingdom come and your will be done? And so we struggle to believe that, that God's there, that, that he's actually listening. But what we learn from Zechariah and from this story is that, that God is actually working even when it seems like he's on radio silence, that he's not, that he's actually present with us. And we look at verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when the division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And so this becomes then the, the immediate setting for, for God to break his radio silence after 400 years. And it shows also Luke's attention to detail, his knowledge of history and culture of that time. Uh, Because the way that that it worked for priests to serve at the temple in Jerusalem was fairly complicated. uh, Because the entire tribe of Levi was responsible for priestly duties. So some people estimate that there may have been about 18,000 priests 
in Israel. Um, and so they were then divided into 24 groups, 24 divisions. You see that it says in our text that Zechariah is of the division of Abijah, one of those 24 groups, and that each group then would serve for two weeks at the temple within a given year. Then otherwise, people would, would work ordinary vocations, and whether it was farming or some sort of craft. But even during that two-week period when people were actually on duty, kind of the priest reserves for two weeks, uh, that they would um, not be able to enter the holy place of the temple, most of them, because there's so many. Um, and, and just a reminder of the, the layout of the, the temple, after people came back from exile in Babylon, they, they rebuilt the temple. Uh, but then actually King Herod, the one good thing that he did <laughs> uh, was he expanded the temple complex significantly at that time. Um, and so for the temple, you can think of the temple as these concentric circles. So there was an outer court, the court of the Gentiles, uh, where people who were covenant outsiders could worship. Then you would go into the inner court uh, where Israelites would worship um, and where sacrifices, animal sacrifices would be offered. And then in, in the midst of the inner court was the temple. And then within the temple, you had the holy place where they would offer daily morning and evening incense. Um, and then within the, the very center is the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God's special presence dwelt. And, and the, that place was viewed as so holy that only the high priest can enter it, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement on, on Yom Kippur, and then only with sacrifice to atone for the sins of his people. And so to even get into that second ring of the holy place was, was a real privilege. And so because there were so many priests, they, they would give, they had this lottery system. And you, you see that in our text. It says that Zechariah was chosen by lot. And so if, if your name was essentially pulled out of a hat, then you would have the privilege of offering the incense within the holy place. Not in the most holy place, but within the holy place. Um, and then once you did it once then your name was taken out of the hat, as it were, and you would never do it again to give others the opportunity. And so for Zechariah here then, this is a really unique opportunity. This is a culmination of his career as a priest. And just for a second, just put yourself in, in Zechariah's shoes. Uh, you think oh, he, he's, been, he's been ministering probably most of his life as a priest, uh, finally, he's going to get the opportunity to offer the incense, enter into the, to the holy place of the Lord um, for the first time. Um, and so he would go to the altar outside of the temple, this enormous altar where the animals were sacrificed. He would take a burning coal from that altar, put it in a special golden pot, would carry it through past the giant pillars of the temple through the doors. And then as he entered the, the temple, um, there were no windows and it would be dark. Uh, and on the left-hand side, he would see a burning, the burning candles. Um, and then on the right-hand side, he would see a, a table with the bread of the presence. And then directly in front of him, he would see the, the altar of incense um, in front of the, the curtain that was a way into the, the most holy place between him and the holy presence of God. So there would be this sense of, of awe, of, of mystery, of, of, of holiness, um, of even fear, knowing that, that you're that close to the, to the most holy place. And then he would approach to the altar of incense. He would put the burning coals there, would put the incense on it, and then immediately the, the smoke would go up and start to, 
to fill the room and the smell and the aroma um, that would symbolize the prayer of God's people ascending before the presence of the Lord. But then while that incense is going up, this, the, the sweet aroma to the Lord, that, that the whole assembly of people, both in the inner and outer court, would gather and would be praying to the Lord and probably praying for God to show himself, to manifest himself, to, to break the, the radio silence and to, to speak, to, to redeem, to send the messenger of the Lord. And so, so in that moment for Zachariah, it would be the, just the, the high point, the, the pinnacle and it's, it's probably quiet in there. He's, he's offering prayers. And then suddenly he sees something. It says um, to, the, to the right of the altar in front of him. And, and you, know, you think it's dark. There's the light of the, the lampstand. The, the smoke is, is filling the room. And, and it's, it's a, the manifestation, it's apparition of an angel appearing there inside of the holy sanctuary. And you know, for us, we completely miss how... Um, terrifying that would be because our mental image of angels can be you know the cute little angel that used to have in a shelf or little statue you put on your shelf uh, but in but in scripture angels are these terrifying heavenly beings that um, herald the, the presence of God and minister in such close fellowship with God's holiness that they reflect his glory in a really unique way and so it's always the same in scripture that people can't handle approaching angels and and so the that we if one appeared right here we would have one of three reactions that um, either we would just try to get out as quickly as possible you know it's look for the lighted exit um, or we would be tempted to fall down and worship sometimes people have that response in scripture and angels always say don't worship me worship God or we would just be completely frozen in fear and terror not knowing what to do is sort of the fright or the flight or fright kind of mentality. Um, and, of course, Zechariah has the, the fright reaction, that, that he's, he's frozen in terror, not knowing what to, to think, realizing that this isn't just a vision, that the angel is really there, actually, truly. Um, and this is where angels are always very kind to people, uh, that they always say, well, the first thing, don't be afraid. <laughs> it's, just, it's in the angel manual for appearing to people. Just <laughs> Always tell them, don't be afraid up front, because they're, they're going to do it. So he says, uh, look at verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so Zechariah gets this reassurance of not, not being afraid. Uh, but then the angel actually roots this reassurance in content that he says, don't be afraid for your prayer has been heard. And, and so it's fair to assume that probably Zachariah and Elizabeth had been praying for a long, long time for a child, maybe hundreds and thousands of times. But maybe even Zachariah had offered one last prayer for a child in the holy place in this special once in a lifetime opportunity. We don't really know. But either way, God makes it very clear that he had been listening 
all along, that he uh, may have seemed silent, but he was there. And, and so he hadn't abandoned Zachariah and Elizabeth. And then, of course, by extension, he had not abandoned the people of Israel, that, that the, the, he had actually been hearing the prayers and the calling and the longing of his people all along. And then in a really amazing way, this prayer and longing of Israel, of God's people for 400 years, and this prayer and longing of Zechariah and Elizabeth for a child um, come, come together in the birth of one child. And the angel says that, that God will name the child. He'll be, belong to the Lord. His name is, is John, that many will rejoice at his birth. And, that, and then he fills out the, the reason that he'll be great before the Lord, what actually he will do. And the, the first thing you notice is it says he, he will never drink wine or strong drink. Um, and that's probably a reference to the, in the Old Testament, there was what's called the Nazarite vow in the book of Numbers, where people would make a special commitment um, to God, sometimes for a period, sometimes for their whole life. And that would evo- involve abstinence from, from drinking. It's not that the Bible sees all alcohol is wrong, uh, but people kind of speculate what's the reason for this and, and probably it had something to do with if these people are speaking for the Lord carrying out a prophetic ministry that make it very clear that they are speaking only from the Lord and not from anything else or any kind of intoxication and so that related to that you'll see the angel says that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit rather than than wine and he says that that filling that work of the Holy Spirit will actually be from his mother's womb and and yes children need to come to faith in the Lord, to come to know him. Um, but it's amazing to, to know that God is actually can work through his spirit uh, in the unborn, in, the, in young children. And, and I think, that, you know, as a father of a young child, it's, it's comforting and both challenging to know that, that the spirit can work even in very young, young children. But then um, that spirit, as he's working, will actually lead John to have this impact on God's people that in a, in a vertical sense, he, he'll call people back to God. Um, and in a horizontal sense, it says that he'll bring the, the Father back to the Son, the Son back to the, to the Father, that this restoration of relationships that should be this close bond that is broken because of sin, which, of course, is true, that as we turn to the Lord uh, that, and we restored with him, we're restored quite often uh, with others, and that this ministry of, is, comes through repentance, that John would have a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, calling people to repent and, and turn back to the Lord and be prepared for the Messiah to come. And so in that way, he was also standing in the, the spirit of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. If you know the Old Testament story, he's one of the, the greatest prophets. Um, and probably John was, was like Elijah in his call of the nation to, to repentance. And we already read in, in Malachi chapter 4 how God predicted this, the very last word of revelation from the Old Testament, that someone will come to prepare the way for the Messiah in the spirit of Elijah. And, and I think it's amazing just how God does not miss a beat at all, that, that this 400 years of radio silence, the, the last prophetic revelation talking about a messenger coming in the spirit of Elijah, and then the first time that God speaks after that, after so long, he just picks up, right? It's almost like it was the same sentence saying, oh yeah, by the way, the, the, the messenger who's coming in the spirit of Elijah, he is going to come very soon. And so God's reckoning of time and waiting is, is just so different from the way that we do. And so then, I mean, this incredible promise, 
both of a, of a child and of hope for his nation, you would expect then Zechariah to respond in, in faith and humility and thanksgiving. Uh, but notice what, what he does in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. So, I mean, I think like every pastor, he, he probably should just keep his mouth shut sometimes. <laughs> uh, but he has to say something. Um, and so he, he asks for, for a sign, saying, well, Lord, how am I going to know that this is going to happen? This just seems so impossible that, that this would happen, because I'm so old. And, and I think that it, it's a comforting to us to know that it's not that Old Testament people were just so much more willing to believe the miraculous, uh, that we th- sometimes we get this, this mistaken mental idea that people in the Old Testament just saw miracles all the time, and God breaking into the, the fabric of creation. But remember that, that he's grown up in this period of radio silence from the Lord, that this was not a period of, of a lot of activity of, of miracles and revelation and prophets. And quite often, uh, miracles will come and clustered around really important redemptive events of, of the Lord. And so he, he knew the basic biological facts as well as any of us here, that if somebody is too old to have a child, it's really unlikely that they're going to have a child. So how in the world is this possible? And in a way, though, I think we can understand where he's coming from. I mean, it's an honest question for him to have. And sometimes people in Scripture do ask for signs, and the Lord gives them a sign and commends them for their faith. But here, it seems like he, he's doing something wrong, because we'll see the angel reacts uh, with displeasure. And I think that, that the reason, what's wrong with Zechariah here, is not so much the fact that he's asking questions. Even Mary, when Gabriel appears to her soon after this, says, how, how can this be, for I have never known a man? Um, but but for, for Zechariah, he, he, it's really arising from a place of unbelief. And that's what the angel says, that because you have not believed my word. And it, and it was unbelief in the face of knowledge that he's, he's sinning against knowledge that he should have had. I mean, here he is in the presence of the holy angel Gabriel, in the holy place of the Lord, as a priest who spent his whole life studying the, st- the stories of the Bible and, and knows plenty of the stories about God providing children despite all appearances otherwise and God's miraculous dealings with his people. And as somebody who's walked righteously with the Lord, and he's said, I don't know if the God who, who formed the laws of nature could possibly do this. The God who upholds the universe, is this even possible at all? And I think that this uncertainty, this wondering if God can actually act, or this kind of disbelief in God's um, power, is something that, that we face a lot today in ourselves. Um, I remember in, in college I had a conversation with a friend um, who didn't believe, and, and she said, and I said, well, what would it take for you to believe that this is actually true. And she said, well, maybe if I saw some kind of sign or miracle. And I, and I said, well, what kind of sign or miracle would work? And she said, well, maybe if, if God just wrote across the sky that he exists, then I would believe. And I said, well, I don't know if you would. You probably would say that it was some sort of illusion or magician trick or something like that. And she, she said, yeah, actually, that's probably true. I don't know <laughs> if, I, if I would actually uh, believe then that on some level she wanted God to show up, to break radio silence, to appear, to speak. Um, but then when it actually comes, are we actually willing to see it and to, to believe that God is actually 
working, that when we pray, do we believe that God is actually going to show up and answer our prayer, or do we, do we disbelieve in his power? And I, I saw this even myself a few, few years ago where I was studying in a coffee shop, and I, I, pray, I was thinking, I wish I had more opportunities to share the gospel with people. And I prayed, Lord, you know, give me more opportunities. Um, and then almost immediately after that, somebody came over and was like, oh, what are you reading? You know, and I was reading some kind of theology. Um, but in the moment, I was just made small talk, didn't say anything. Um, and then the person, person left, and, and I didn't even use the opportunity to talk about the gospel at all. And then I thought about it, and I was like, oh, maybe, maybe that was just right there in answer to my prayer. Um, but yet, it's the, the, it's the, the reaction of Zechariah. Um, it is the reaction of, I prayed for this, I've longed for this, I've been wanting you to act, but then when it comes, uh, I disbelieve, I seek for something more, for some kind of a sign that you're actually working. And notice how the, the angel responds to him in verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And notice good news, gospel, that's, that's what the whole gospel is about. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my word, which will be fulfilled in their time. And I had actually missed this, uh, but commentaries point out that the angel's kind of making fun of Zechariah, um, just in the way that, that he introduces himself, because if you look at the, even the patterns of their speech, that Zechariah said, um, he says, I don't, how... Well, I know that this is, for I am old. And then, and then Gabriel says, well, I am Gabriel. I stand in the, in the, in the presence of the Lord. And so essentially what, what Gabriel is, is saying is, you know, Zechariah, you might be a, a washed out old priest who's unable to, to believe the, the promises and, and the work of God. But I'm a holy angel who ministers in, in the presence of the Lord. I'm the one who is, who is named and appeared to, to Daniel back in in Daniel 7. I'm the one who very soon is going to manifest myself to Mary to announce the, the birth of Christ. And you could maybe disbelieve my word, but not the word of the one who, who sends me, because in the presence of the Holy One, even the angels veil their face and can only cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And so that's essentially what the angel is saying, is, is that even I bear authority as an angel, and that's only coming from the holiness of God. But yet, we, we think then that, that God would, would somehow cast Zechariah away for his unbelief. But here again, we see a, a demonstration of God's faithfulness, that even when we are faithless, that God proves faithful. And so God shows grace. He doesn't go back on his word. He says that these things will be fulfilled. And in a way, I don't, I don't think that losing his speech was a punishment per se, uh, but in a sense was more of a kind of discipline for Zechariah. That they, the scripture says that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Um, and, it, and it is basically God saying that, that if, if you're not able to, to believe my word when I speak, that you're going to be unable to speak until you actually see the accomplishment of the things that I will do in my sovereignty, that, that we must be silent. And I think that that, that reaction of, of silence is is really just a fitting reaction for all of us creatures to the actions of a holy and righteous God, that whenever we, we confront God, really that silence is what we, is it so natural? That's why it says in um, the Psalms to be still and know that I am God. 
when the Lord manifests himself to um, um, Job after he had suffered so much um, and said, basically, I'm God and you're not, Job said, I cover my mouth, that I, I will be silent uh, before you, that we are silent and wait for God to, to work and accomplish good news. And so just at the, the end of our, of our passage, then we, we see Zechariah. Uh, he leaves the temple, and everyone's waiting expectantly outside. They, they said that they were wondering because he had been in there a long time. And it says that, that he came out, unable to speak, gesturing to them. Um, and you think, if you've ever tried to play charades, um, that, you know, try communicating, oh, I just met the holy angel Gabriel in the temple who told me that there's going to be a miracle and I'm going to, my wife and I are going to bear a child and he's going to be come in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah who's coming very soon and we need to repent and be prepared for him to come. <laughs> you know, you can't communicate that in, in, in gestures. And so he had to do what the angel intended is to be silent. Um, which is ironic that we think that, that God was the one who was silent for 400 years, but really then Zechariah is the one who is left silent at the end because God is the one working and we need to be silent before his presence. And so he goes home, Elizabeth becomes pregnant, and she goes away into uh, seclusion for five months, probably for prayer, reflection, worship. And the very last verse, uh, and noti notice that Elizabeth's response is very different from her husband's, that, that she responds with this incredible faith. She says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And so today, if, if you are, are feeling the, the reproach of people, if, if you are feeling that, that radio silence from God, wondering if he actually can speak, if he really can act, if he is really there and maybe praying and praying and praying, um, what we see here is the, this hope to continue waiting and continue trusting that God is active. And for Zechariah, he had the word of this, this angel in the holy place, and he had real reason to believe. Um, but here today, we have even more reason to believe. We may not have uh, the word of an angel here before us, but we have the, the, the word of God in Scripture testifying to the things that have been done so that we can have certainty concerning the things we have been taught, that we have the Holy Spirit testifying, and we actually know the end of the story, that, that Jesus did come, and he was heralded by John, and he did live the perfect life that we couldn't live, and did die a sacrificial death in our place, and did rise again. And so as we repent and, and turn and trust in him, that we can be reconciled to God and, and forgiven, truly, even here today. And really, then, as, as we come to the to the Lord's Supper, uh, we see the, this just simple yet beautiful picture of, of God's work. And, and, you know, New Testament worship is so much simpler than uh, the Old Testament worship, where we don't have this enormous temple complex and, and levels of approach to the holiness of God, uh, where we might once in our life get into the holy place, but that Jesus has himself opened the way the holy place for us, that we, we don't just enter the holy place, but the, the most holy place and, and stand before God, not as the, the terror, just as the holy, terrifying God, which he is, but as our loving father who actually gave himself for us. And so we see that, that symbolized and displayed for us here in this meal. Uh, we don't believe that Christ is uh, bodily present here, but we do believe that he's truly spiritually present to strengthen us and to encourage us in our walk uh, with him.